Well, I wonder if you've ever had someone tell you that maybe you're not just quite there as a Christian. I wonder if you've ever had that experience. Maybe you're like me and you've had people tell you something like you need to have some sort of extra experience. Or maybe you've had to do some sort of special thing in order to be a real, genuine, fair dinkum sort of Christian. I wonder if you've ever had that. There's a couple of smiles going around. I think maybe some of you have. I remember when I was in my second year of uni, I was 19, I was doing an agriculture degree. I remember meeting a minister, he came and had a conversation with me, and he tried to tell me that I probably wasn't a real fair dinkum Christian because I hadn't experienced certain things. Uh, He asked me a whole bunch of questions. He said, well, have you ever had any visions? I said, well, no, I haven't. Have you ever done any miracles? I said, well, no, not that I know of. Um, Have you ever spoken in tongues? Well, no, I haven't. Uh, Have you ever heard a voice, he said, like an audible voice from God? Well, no, I hadn't. After these kind of questions, you know, I was 19, I was pretty young, I was trying to work out Christianity at the time. You know, it actually left me feeling pretty rubbish about my faith, about my experience. I was I was still trying to work it all out. And this conversation, you know, it really did rattle me. These experiences, this guy, you know, he was saying, you haven't done that, you haven't experienced that. Well, maybe you're not really the real deal. I wonder what you'd say uh, if you were there, if you were having that conversation with that guy. Uh, Would you know what to say? Today we're actually going to be looking at this passage, Colossians chapter 2. We've been working through the book of Colossians very slowly because I've been preaching here about once every three months. So it's very slow, but it's been nice to do it. Uh, Working through the book of Colossians... And these verses that we have in front of us today, actually Paul spells out for us what the authentic Christian life looks like. He shows us what real Christianity is, what mature Christianity is. And the big message today, if you have a look on your outline, just on the back of the program you got on the way in, the big message today is that if your version of Christianity is not all about Jesus... If it doesn't have Jesus at the very centre of everything, if it's not about him, if it's not about being saved by him and then becoming like him in our character and in our conviction, if it's about other things, if it's about experiences or rules or, or anything else, if Jesus isn't right there, right in the very centre, then that is not the real deal. So have a look if you've got your Bible there. Colossians chapter 2. And look at there, verses 6 and 7. These first two verses, Paul gives us a very helpful snapshot of what the authentic Christian life looks like. See there in verse 6, Paul writes, Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. And what we see here in this first verse is that Paul, he's talking to Christian people, And he says there, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, uh, this comes first, you see, that's the very first thing that Christians do. We receive Jesus as Lord. Uh, When you believe the gospel, you realise that Jesus is King. He's the one who rules us. 
The one who died on that cross for our sins. He's the one who's our new master. Jesus is Lord. Just as you received him, when you put your faith in him, your trust in him, when you repented of your sin, that's when you became a Christian. And then verse 6, what are we to do once we've received him as Lord? Well, we're to walk in him. What it means to walk in Jesus? Ever thought about two people walking together? If you're walking together, you actually go in the same direction, don't you? You ever kind of seen two people walking in different directions? You wouldn't say they're walking together, would you? They're walking apart. To walk in Jesus, you see, it actually means that we walk in the same direction as him. We actually let him, because he's our Lord, we see there, verse 6, we actually let him direct us, show us the direction that we are to walk in. He does that through his word. See, to walk in Jesus, it means to let Jesus direct us through his word. Secondly, as you keep reading, verse 7 there, as we walk in Jesus, we're also to grow up in Jesus. See there, verse 7, Paul says, rooted and built up in him. See, Paul uses these two images. He uses them here to describe how it is that the Christian goes from having received Christ as Lord, taking direction from Jesus, to then growing up in maturity. And the first thing you see there, the first image he uses, is that of a plant, a plant that puts its roots down in the ground. I don't know if you know this, but I did an agricultural degree, uh, so I'm very uh, confident that this is true. The very first thing you know that a plant does is it puts its roots down. That's the first thing it does. It doesn't shoot up shoots. Now, the first thing a plant does when it starts growing is the roots go down first. Uh, the roots go down, why? Well, to make a strong, secure foundation, don't they? They go down to get that nourishment from the soil. The roots go down. That's the first thing that happens. And then you start to see the plant shoot out of the ground. And that is actually how Paul describes the Christian, isn't it? We don't grow out of nothing. No, we grow as we're first rooted in Jesus. As we, we grow, as we find our hope and our confidence in Jesus, we grow as we believe the gospel to a deeper and deeper level, that Jesus died on that cross, that God is truly good to us, that he loves us despite what may come in our life. We grow, firstly, as we sink our roots deep into those gospel truths, as we find our confidence and our hope and our joy in Jesus. The roots, you see, they go down first. They become like a strong foundation, a bit like a building. Paul actually switches the metaphor here. He says, rooted in Jesus and then built up in him. He goes from a plant to a building. He says, we built up in Jesus. Notice here how to grow. We don't move away from Jesus. Growing in maturity, it's not a move away from him to something else. Now just imagine a building, right? Imagine a building if it just shifted away from its foundations. What's going to happen to it? It'll just blow over. It'll topple over. Now we are built, to mix metaphors, we are built on our roots. And thirdly, the third thing that Paul says here 
is that Christians are actually established in their faith just as we are taught. This third aspect, it actually emphasises that understanding is fundamental to Christian growth and maturity. We are established in our faith. Understanding the gospel to deeper and deeper levels is more and more important. But do you notice here how it is that we're established? Well, we're established as we are taught. It's not new. We don't go and find new and different things to believe. We keep coming back to those core truths of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins and he rose for our hope. We grow as we are established in that, as we abound more and more in thanksgiving for what Christ has done for us. See, Paul's emphasis right in these very first two verses, his emphasis is that you begin and you continue in Jesus. To be a mature Christian, it actually looks like growing more and more in your confidence that Jesus truly is Lord, that God truly is good, It actually looks like appreciating more and more God's love for us in Christ. So much so that we are bound in thankfulness. So we don't begin with Jesus and then move over to something else. No, that would be just like a plant cutting itself off from its roots. It's not going to last very long. It would be like a building shifting off its foundations just going to topple over. You never leave Jesus behind. You never leave the gospel behind, that core truth of Christ crucified in our place. No, Paul says, you want to be a real mature Christian? Well, continue the way you began, with Jesus as Lord. Don't move away from him, but walk in him. But you know, I reckon... It can be hard, can't it? You know when you're in the moment and someone says something? You know, I was chatting to a guy just the other day and he said to me that he had had a prophetic word that he should go into ministry. And you can't really argue against that, right? I mean, that's his experience. But he said to me, Steve, if you had a prophetic word to do your ministry at the uni? I said, well, no. No, I haven't. Not, not in the same kind of way that you're describing. You know, sometimes people will tell us that we need something extra, that we need some sort of extra thing if we're going to be real Christians, if we're going to really have it all together. We need to do this, we need to do that. But you know, the more I think about it, what they're actually saying is that you need to add something to Jesus, aren't they? You need to add something extra to faith in Jesus, to repentance and faith. Have a look at what Paul thinks of that sort of thinking. Have a look there in verse 8 in your Bible. Verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it, Paul says, that you're not led astray that you're not captured into thinking that you need something else as well as Jesus in addition to faith in Christ. Whatever it might be, if it's not according to Christ, if it's something extra 
that you're putting your faith in, then Paul says that is empty deceit. And it's dangerous. If it's not Christ alone, it is dangerous. It's so easy, I think, for us to be led astray into chasing after something new. We actually see this all the time in sport, don't we? Uh, people chasing after something new. They take additives. Uh, two guys come to mind, uh, some of the greats of all time, Lance Armstrong and Carl Lewis. You know, in their respective fields, two of the greatest sportsmen, uh, Lance Armstrong in cycling, Carl Lewis in athletics and running. What did they do? They wanted something extra, didn't they? They kind of had it all. They were brilliant. They were excellent. They had everything they ever needed. They took those performance-enhancing drugs. They took those additives that they thought they needed and it led to just their careers being ruined, to their reputations being ruined. You know, at the end of the day, I think you'd have to say to guys like them, to Carl Lewis, to Lance Armstrong, if only you knew what you had. If only you knew what you had. That's what Paul says here to Christians. He says, be thankful, look at Christ, see what you have in him. Know what you have. So have a look at what Paul says next in these next couple of verses, in verses 9 and 10. I mean, the temptation temptation is always for us to look somewhere else, to go for some extra thing. That's just human logic. That's our sinfulness. In verses 9 and 10, Paul actually shows us what we have. It says that in him, in Jesus that is, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What does that mean? Well, simply it means that Jesus is God. All of God is in Jesus. This is no ordinary guy who we are in relationship with. Jesus is God himself. God the Son took on flesh. And then have a look in verse 10. He says, we have been made complete in him. Made complete in him. When we are in Christ, in right relationship with Christ, we are complete We have everything we could ever need. And thirdly, the third thing that Paul says here about Jesus is that he is the head of all rule and authority. See, the one who is God in the flesh, Jesus, come to die for us, the one who completes us, gives us all that we need, well, he is the great king overall. He's the one in charge of everything. He's the one who loves us. So we can trust him. Paul tells us here in these, these three little truths very briefly so that we would know what we have when we have Jesus. We have relationship with God himself. And when we're in him, we're complete. We have everything we need. I don't know if you notice. But in this little passage and other places in Paul, Paul actually uses a little phrase which is a little bit odd. He keeps using this language of being in Christ. He says, in him, a lot. I mean, just here so far we've had walk in him, rooted in him, built up in him, complete in him. This kind of in Christ language, it just keeps coming up. It's actually the most common way that Paul uses to speak about our relationship with Jesus. We did camp on this early in the year and we saw that 
Paul uses the term follower, follower of Jesus, twice in the New Testament. Only twice. He uses the language in Christ or in him 262 times. Uh, Paul's most favourite word, the way that he describes our union with Christ, our relationship with Jesus, is in him. And so it's worth, I think, trying to unpack what that means. See, Paul's not saying that we're kind of inside Jesus physically or anything like that. We're not in his stomach or anything like that. Now, what it means to be in Christ is Paul is saying that by the Spirit we have such a close relationship with Jesus, we are so united to him, that whatever has happened to him also happens to us. We actually participate with Jesus in the events of his life. It's incredible, really. Whatever happens to Jesus also happens to us. I think it's maybe a good way to illustrate this is to think about an aeroplane. You know when you go, you know, you get on an aeroplane, you kind of walk down that little boarding area, that kind of tunnel thing which you feel like it's going to fall apart. You walk down that thing, you get on the plane, you sit in the plane, take your seat, and what do you do? Well, you just kind of, you've put your trust in the plane, and then whatever the plane does, well, it actually happens to you, right? Uh, if the plane crashes, you're going to crash. If the plane gets to its destination, you're going to get to its destination. Why? Well, because you're in it. You're in it. That's what Paul says here with Jesus and Christians. He says we are so united to Jesus that we're in him. That whatever has happened to him, and what we're going to see, his death and resurrection, also happens to us. Because Christ died, we have died when we're in him. Because Christ has risen, we have risen because we're in him. Let's have a look there, verses 11 to 13. As the very first thing that Paul says, and to keep the plane metaphor kind of going, uh, the first thing is that like any plane, that boarding pass, getting the ticket, is costly. It was ridiculously costly for us to get in Jesus, to have the right relationship with him. It cost him his life. Have a look there in verse 11. Paul actually uses two illustrations, baptism and circumcision, to illustrate what he's talking about. In verse 11, he says, In him, that is in Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now it's a bit of a confusing verse, it doesn't seem to make sense initially. But what I think is going on here is, well, what's circumcision? You remember what circumcision is, it's that kind of thing that happened in the Old Testament where that piece of flesh was cut off, uh, the males, uh, their foreskins were removed, it was cut off in order that they would be identified as God's people. But Paul says here, right, he says that if you're in Christ, well, you've actually been circumcised too, not physically like that, but he says a circumcision made without hands. Uh, You've been circumcised spiritually. How is that? What is it that's been cut off for us as Christians? Well, he says they're the body of flesh. The body of flesh, our sinful self, 
Our sin has been cut off as Christians. How is it that that's happened? Well, the end of verse 11, Paul says there it's by the circumcision of Christ. Our sinful self has been cut off by Christ being cut off. It's by his death, by his death on the cross. Remember how I said that this union with Christ means that whatever happens to him also happens to us? Well, what we see here is that when we are in Christ, we actually die with Christ. Our sinful self is nailed to that cross back there with him. We participate in his death. Paul says, our self, our sinful self, has been cut off. It died back there on the cross. And Paul goes on in verse 12, uh, and he says the same thing with baptism. Verse 12, he says, You were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. See all those key moments of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, they keep coming up. What's baptism? Well, essentially baptism is just the act of going under the water, being plunged under the waters, signifying that we die to our old way of life, and then it's being raised up, signifying that we've been given new life. In Christ, you see, what we see in these verses, Paul says we were buried with him in baptism. We were there with him by the Spirit. See, in Christ, when we have this relationship with him by faith, we actually die with Christ, and then we rise with Christ. And just in case we haven't understood it yet, Paul says exactly the same thing in verse 13. Verse 13, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. This, you see, is what we have in Christ. We who deserved to be cut off for our sins have been given new life. We who deserve to be thrown out of the plane, to never even get on board the plane to heaven. Well, Jesus has paid the ticket price for us. We have died with him. We've had our sins forgiven. And we've been given new life. How is, this, how is it that all this has happened? Well, verse 14, Paul says it's because our sin, our wrong against God, it's been nailed to that cross with Jesus. Whatever sin that we had, it's been nailed back there. It's been punished under God's punishment of his son. We no longer have to face the punishment of our sin anymore. And this, I think, is where this language of being in Christ is actually so helpful for us. We are to so see ourselves as in Christ, so united to him, that whatever has happened to Jesus also happens to us. We have died, we have been buried, our sin has been paid for, and we have been given new life. There is no longer any record of our sin. 
No longer any guilt. No longer any shame. It's all been nailed to that cross. And we've been given a new life. Raised to new life. That we would live it for him. See friends, this life that we've been given as Christians, it's actually called the resurrection life. It's a new life that starts now and lasts for eternity. Uh, We've already been raised, Paul says there in verse 12. That's better than any vision or experience, isn't it? To already be raised, to have life that starts now and never ends. We've been raised to new life because we're in Christ. That's how Colossians chapter 3 starts. Colossians chapter 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. And what does it go on to say? We'll live like him. Put sin to death and rise to righteousness. I hope you can see just the wonder of what it actually means to be in Christ. I hope you can see what we actually have when we are in him. We have everything we need. Our sins have been paid for. We've been given new life. We no longer face any penalty for our sin. Our destination is heaven and joy for eternity. Because we are in Christ. Because we have faith in him. Verse 16 and 17, Paul says, because of this, because of what you have in Christ, he says you don't need traditions. Have a look there, verse 16, he says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It's not about food and drink. It's not about what day you worship. It's not about any of those things. No, the substance is Christ. In verse 18 to 19, Paul says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So it's not about extra experiences. No, Paul says here that if people are more on about those things than they are on about Jesus, well then don't listen to them. Now what are we to do instead? We're to hold fast to our head. Who's Jesus? It's through keeping Jesus at the very centre of everything, focusing on him, that we grow in every way that God wants us to. And finally Paul says it's not about keeping rules either. That's what verses 20 to 23 are about. He says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish. According to human precepts, And teachings, these, he says, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is a big one, isn't it? Christianity, it's not about rules. 
about Jesus. It's about a relationship with him. You want to live for Christ? You want to be a godly, mature Christian? But it's not about just ticking off a list of rules. It's about knowing what you have in Christ. It's about living for him, getting to know him. In fact, the more we get to know him, like Paul said in those first few verses, walk in him, grow in him, be rooted and built up in him, the more we do that, the more we actually become like him, don't we? I mean, just think about you you hang out with people, you actually start to take on some of their character traits. You hang out with pretty rough tradies enough, it's pretty easy to find yourself swearing. That's on the negative side. On the positive side, you hang out with Jesus enough, you get to know him through his word, you get to know what he's like. You remind yourself often enough of how he was cut off, of how he died on that cross for our sin. What does it do? What actually makes you start to hate sin, doesn't it? See, rules, they aren't enough to stop the indulgence of sin. It's as we get to know Jesus, his love for us, his death for us. That's what actually transforms us to be like him. That's what will actually make us say yes to purity instead of impurity. That's what will make us say yes to speaking well of people instead of tearing them down. It's as we get to know Jesus and the life he's given us. Friends, it's only knowing Jesus that will stop us indulging in sin. And that's what God really wants for us, isn't it? That's what true maturity looks like. To grow up to be like Christ in our character and in our conviction. Traditions, experiences, rules, they won't do that for us. They won't stop us from sinning. In fact, often they'll just become a source of pride. No, the one thing that will grow us up to be like Christ is actually as we grow in our thankfulness for him. Abounding in thankfulness for what Christ has done for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we know that your desire for us is that we become more and more like your son Jesus. That we grow up in him so that we would have a conviction to honour you like he did. That our character would be one of righteousness like his. Father, we've seen tonight that, we've seen this morning that it's not about miracles, it's not about visions, it's not about any of those things. The substance is Christ. So Father, I pray that you would help us to see that so clearly. Help us to work on our relationship with Jesus. Help us to get to know him in his word. Help us to see the clarity of the gospel, of what Christ has done for us on that cross, so that we would put sin to death and we would live lives of righteousness like he did. Amen.